Be brave, be strong. Let's stand for the reading of one verse, the very first verse of Habakkuk chapter 1. And here's what he says he's dealing with. He opens it up and just lays it right out. He says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. He saw it. He was observant of what was going on in the nation, what was going on in the lives of those who called themselves God's people. And he said, what I observed became a big burden in my life as God's spokesperson to the people and having to watch what they were doing. He said, it burdened me deeply. So, Father, I need to preach this truth only with your anointing. I'm nothing without you. So may your people hear this as if it were individually constructed just for them. Because, Holy Spirit, you've orchestrated this service and orchestrated this word. So we thank you for the results you and you alone can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. How do we respond in difficult moments? And Habakkuk was in a very difficult moment. Everybody say, the burden. The The prophet goes through this entire first chapter, and he's carrying a burden, a sad list of troubles, misfires, heading in the wrong direction, and he's burdened. Has anybody ever had a burden to bear? In the second chapter, he writes something else. So the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. In other words, head, head and deliver it quickly as you can, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come it will not tarry. So God is delivering through him a message of hope. He says, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. Be brave. Be strong. Don't throw in the towel. Wait for it. It will surely come. That's God's promise. Then he says, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Then he writes in chapter 3, his final observations, because he starts out with the burden. He, he has this insight then into what's going on in the nation in the next chapter and God's promise. And then and this, he, fi- he finally sums it up this way. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet to Shigionoth. On Shigionoth. And I looked at that word. And I'll give you a definition for it a little later. That's quite a word. Shigionoth. Then in verse 17, he's still facing a burden, and he's still troubled by the problems he's observing in the land. He says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. So he's headed for higher ground by the time he winds up his dissertation. So today I want to speak to you. What do you do when the trials and the tests arrive? Because the truth is, that's what this book is written about. Habakkuk has only three chapters. and the first chapter, he expresses the burden that he's carrying, the trouble that he has in his heart. Everybody faces problems in life. And faith only grows during your problems and your tests. 
That's when faith grows and matures. Problems are not something that you become immune to just because you've received Jesus Christ into your life. Because remember, light always attracts bugs. And if things are happening in your life, understand you are in a real world. And that's the reality of living in a broken world. Problems exist, and problems will always be there till Jesus comes back. As a matter of fact, you're either coming out of a problem, facing a problem, or headed right into a problem today. That's what Habakkuk was getting a grip on. Problems everywhere he looked. And he understood. Notice he said, I am under a burden. I've got problems coming out of my ears. I don't know where to put the next one. And sometimes you get up in the morning and it starts out bad. Did you ever have a morning like that? Problems have to line up just to get to you. They're all lined up waiting for you. Have you ever had a day like that? <laughs> Hold on. They'll come to you. You've had days when problems appear in your life out of nowhere. But the thing you understand is God is not smoking pot. God's not biting his nails. God's not nervous. He's not having to pop Valium. He's not upset. He's not fretting. God's totally in control. And with God, everything is all right. So our challenge is to take everything that is all wrong and plug it into God who is all right. That's why early, the very first thing you should do when you arise in the morning before the enemy can start is start praying in the Spirit first thing in the morning. Because you'll pray according to the will of God that way. And notice what's going on in the life of the prophet Habakkuk. He said, you always have to understand that the test always comes before the best is released. Always, every time the problem, the test comes before God releases his best into your life. The wise man wrote these words, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. And notice that Habakkuk starts out with crying, and he's wailing, and he's lamenting, and he's observant of everything going on around him in the nation. But he ends up at the end of that third chapter with a song of praise. He wrote this to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. He wants glory to be given to the Lord. So he starts out with problems. He ends up with praise. Starts out with a sigh, and he ends up with a shout. And do you know what happened? He said, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. That's why he could conclude that way. So let me encourage you today. Someone walked in here with a burden. You're going to leave with a promise. You walked in here with a cry. You'll leave here with powerful praise in your mouth. You may not feel it yet, but I know where I'm going with this because God gave me this word, and already someone has received it because it was designed for them. It's designed for somebody in this service as well. And God said this, I'm going to turn it. It will turn. I am going to turn it. And why was Habakkuk burdened? And he gives you three reasons. He says, number one in the first chapter, I was burdened because of the silence of God. I was greatly troubled over God's non-responsiveness. He said, God, how long will I cry unto you and you not hear me? Have you ever had God not answer you when you prayed? And God seems to be silent. You desperately needed to hear from him and you prayed, oh God, this is serious. Where are you? And sometimes you feel like that old, old Verizon commercial, can you hear me now? <laughs> God, I'm calling on you. 
I'm yelling to you because sometimes heaven seems silent. God doesn't say anything, and you really need to hear from him. Well, here's the point you grab hold of. When you can't hear God, you read God. When God is not saying anything to you, you go to his book. And the amazing thing is, if you will read God, when you can't hear God, you'll start hearing God from reading God. That's what you do when trials and tests come, and God is not whispering anything into your spirit. When you can't hear him, you read him until he says something. You go back to his word. Let me proof text that for you in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is in the wilderness being tested of the devil. And he's not hearing anything from God. He's under attack. You know, and you'll, you'll read this, and at first read, you'll think, well, Jesus just said it's written, it's written, it's written. And yes, he did use those words, but the last time Satan appeared to Jesus, it went from it is written to, the, to these words. Jesus said, it says, the word of God says with confidence. And here's the truth. If you read his word long enough, it will say something to you. It will say something about your trial or about your battle or about the problem you're dealing with. The problem is many just don't understand the power of the living word of God. The word of God lives. It's breathing. It's life. It's bread. It's water. It washes us. It nourishes us. It strengthens us. When you are in trials, you don't go around just having a pity party. You get into his word. You get to his promise, and out of the written word will come a spoken word, a rhema word for your circumstance, a now word from the Lord, a word that jumps off the page and into your being. So this is for you. Boom. Notice when Peter faced his trial, Jesus had warned him about Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And Peter faced this problem. He's under great satanic attack. He's being sifted by Satan. That's a unique word in the Greek, and it means you shake something in a container with holes in the bottom. And it means you shake it down until all the good has fallen through the bottom, and all you've got remaining is the problem. So satanic sifting is a demonic attack. He wants to get your life so shaken up that all the good comes out, and all you've got left is a pile of problems to face a grainy mess that's totally unattractive. And he wants you to focus on that and forget all the good that God has placed in you and done for you. So Habakkuk was burdened. He was heavily laden down because God was not answering him. Number two, Habakkuk was burdened because of the sin that had taken over Israel. Sin became rampant throughout the culture of Israel. We don't preach about sin much anymore in American pulpits. No one wants to talk about sin. But the Word of God says Israel was sinning. They worshipped idols. They were living immorally. And they were jovial about it. They laughed about it. Then they would go to the temple and act like it didn't matter at all. Sin was taking over the people of God. And the prophet was burdened observing this. And he said, doesn't anybody care? No one is living a holy life. No one is speaking God's word to the people of Israel. Listen, sin is never preached about. It's never talked about. 
I passed this article out to my pastors the other day, and that says, I will not sell my soul for success by Dr. Michael Brown from Charisma Magazine. He wrote this article. He said, recently a young pastor wrote to me with a heavy heart because he had been invited to a closed leadership meeting with many well-known pastors in attendance. And they talked openly about not using entire verses or passages from the Bible in their sermons, just to pull out a few snippets of verses, because too much of the Word of God might drive some people away. That's what they were talking about. He said that they instructed the leaders in attendance not to speak about sin, judgment, conviction, obedience, or morality. Hmm as if the hundreds of verses in the Bible dealing with these issues were irrelevant. And if they knew better than Jesus and the apostles, who often, he says, preached with words of deep, biting conviction as they labored together with the Holy Spirit. And of course, he wrote, they told the other leaders to avoid politics and political issues, which is similar to the mindset of those who chose not to get involved in the divisive slave trade controversies in centuries past in America or to oppose the oppressors like they were doing in, in Europe during just prior to the World War II. And so this is the mentality that's developed now in the Western culture and in the Western church. What's happened to sin? Do you know that sin is still around? Does anybody know that? That sin will rob you. That sin will send you to hell. There is such a thing as sin in 2015 that everything isn't okay, and you can't just go do whatever you feel like and do whatever you want to do without there being a consequence, that there's still something in this world called sin. And sin condemns, and sin destroys, and sin will mess your life up. That's why Jeremiah in chapter 8 said there'd be a generation that would be known as the generation of unblushables. It's kind of like our generation. Nothing in all God's creation can blush, but God's highest creation, the human being. Only humans have the capacity to blush. A cow can't blush. A cat will do his business in your yard and not blush. A dog won't blush when he does something, but a human being has the capacity to blush. And Jeremiah said there'd come a generation that would be anesthetized to sin, so used to it that when they see it on TV or they go to the theater to observe it, They'll look at it in the world, and what we see is immodesty and at times filth, and they won't even blush. In fact, they'll giggle about what they ought to be blushed about. Do you know we're living in an immodest world today? We live in a world of sin today. Sin is everywhere you look today, and there aren't very many places where it's gray. It's pretty much black and white in this book. And Victoria is not secret about anything anymore. All her secrets are out. Everywhere you look, there's sin. And it seems like people don't care. Even in the church, live any way you want to live. Come to church, ignore the sin. Just have a great day. And have your little pet sin. Play with your sin. Practice sin. Justify your sin. It's okay. It doesn't matter. And then now we've got <laughs> social media. And people do things and post them on Facebook. And you know they're over the line doing what they're doing. And that's bad enough. But then other Christians punch like next to it. and go, you really like that? You really think that's cool? 
And the prophet was so burdened, he said, my God, nobody's doing anything about the sin. And Paul writes the same thing to the church at Galatia. He said, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what God's word says. Oh, so the church has become numb to this. People don't blush at it any longer because we've been absorbed by our culture. We've accepted the ways of the culture into the family of God. And we are not changing our culture. Our culture is changing us. It's called sin. And he was burdened by it. And so am I. And Habakkuk cites the silence of heaven and the sinfulness of God's people. He's not talking about heathen. He's talking about God's people. Number three, Habakkuk said, I'm burdened for about the suffering of Israel. See, there's a consequence to sin. Now they're going to suffer because of their sin. And here's what he writes. He said, Israel's being invaded by the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the ISIS of their day. They were, they were few in number as a people. But they were the most fierce warriors. And they were possessed by the devil. And they tormented Israel. And, and he said, look at what's happening to Israel. The ISIS of his day is attacking. Al-Qaeda was attacking. Hamas was attacking. And he cries, hey, look at what's happening to you. He was burdened about his nation about the sin of the people and the consequences for sin, God allows an enemy to come in and do great punishment on you when you continue belligerently in sin. And he's burdened about the fact that heaven is silent and there's nothing from God here. Has he gone away? Has he forgotten this? Will he never come back to us again? So Habakkuk is down, he's discouraged, and you move from all those problems in chapter 1 to chapter 2, and he decides, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to build a tower, and I'm going to go to the top of it, and I'm going to wait there until God comes to me and explains why sinful people are practicing these, these ways of life and still being blessed, why they get by with it, why there's, there's no real consequence happening to so many of them, why the problems are overtaking us, and God, you haven't spoken to us. I'm going to sit there and wait there until God comes down and talks to me at the top of my tower. And you know what? God did come by eventually. And God said one simple thing to Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. Wow. <laughs> one sentence. The just shall live by faith. That tower he was on, he made. It represented what he wanted. And this is how I want you to answer my prayer, Lord. You want an explanation for everything? That's how we go to the Lord, tell me this and why this and how come. And God said, here's what you do when hard times come. First, you have the problem. Then you have to move up. You've discovered the problem. You've observed it. Now you've got to move up. Notice what Habakkuk said in the second chapter. He said, then I saw a vision. A vision means you get out of the perspective of the problem and you acquire heaven's perspective on the problem. It means you see things from God's point of view. A vision means you see the same problem, it's real, but you see that through the lens of God's promises and God's word. Then he said, when I got to looking at the word, when I looked 
through the vision that God gave to me, he said, I began to see, even though things are bad, even though problems are real, even though hard times have begun to oppress the nation, the vision is for an appointed time. And though it seems like it's not coming, I wait for it. It will surely come to pass because God said it would. So what do you do when you're carrying a burden and it's hard times? You get up on the throne where God resides and you have to see your problems through God's perspective. And you have to say, God, give me a vision. You have to show me what's going on because I don't understand this. You get the vantage point of God's perspective. The vision is for an appointed time, an appointed time. So what Habakkuk is saying is he's saying you have to grasp the reality and reliability of the Scriptures. He said, I will focus on what God says, not what's going on all around me, all the stuff I see and observe, the reliability that God gave his word and he'll keep it. I've heard this going over in my spirit. Tell the people today, and I'm saying it to you today, go to the reliability of the Scriptures. Go to the reliability of God's Word. When tough moments come and trouble's breaking out everywhere, get your focus on the reliability of the Scriptures. This is the living, breathing Word of God. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And his word will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he purposed. When pilots are in flight school preparing and learning how to fly aircraft, something gets ingrained in them in flight school. And I'll all tell you, this is what was ingrained in us, quote, you stick to the gauges when nature rages. And they say to them, when nature rages, you focus your eyes because your equilibrium can get out of balance. And you keep your eyes this way. And you look at your gauges. And you, you rely on the instrumentation in front of you. It's a very important practice that has to be learned. Those of you that have taken a tour out at Beale know that some, sometimes they'll allow you to go into one of those simulators and they will test your equilibrium and put you through a series of tests. And here's what happens. Here's when you lose it. Because your inner ear has liquid in it, and it's floating and trying to help you keep your balance. You start moving your head around in that simulator, and that fluid starts moving around, and all of a sudden now you're losing, you're losing your perspective. What you think is up is down, and what you think is down is up. And the equilibrium gets out of balance, and it can feel like you're going down, and you can't see the horizon. You're, you start relying on what your senses are telling you instead of what the gauges are telling you. It's dark, you're in the clouds, and you feel like you're moving up and down, and it's very easy to feel like you're going sideways or that you're going down. So they say, when nature rages, focus on the gauges. Keep your eyes on those gauges in front of you. So my family went out, and we were out there one day, and we, were all, we all went into that simulator, and we all got tested for our equilibrium. My daughter did the best of all four of us in there. Name Michelle. She did well. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. 
It doesn't matter what's going on that you your peripherally pick up around you. It doesn't matter if lightning is flashing. You keep your eyes on the gauges. And I want to say to you here today, when nature rages, when the storm starts to rage, keep your eyes on the gauges and remember the reliability of the scriptures. No matter what your emotions feel, no matter what your mind tells you, listen to me, no matter what other voices come to you and try to whisper to you, focus on the word and the vision God gave you, stay with it. It's going to come to pass. So I'm glad when hard times come, we don't have to fall apart. But you stick with the reliability of the scriptures. Remember John the Baptist, he got to announce at the River Jordan, behold the Lamb of God. And then three or four chapters later, he has to send his disciples to find Jesus and ask the question, are you the one? Behold the Lamb of God. He lands in Herod's prison. He sends his followers to Jesus and John wants to know, are you the one? And what happened? He lands in this huge storm. He's in the Roman dungeon. And Jesus answered John. He sent back a word and he says, Tell him, the blind see, the deaf hear, the scripture has been fulfilled. And blessed is he who's not offended in me. Jesus is saying, Hey, John, you're blessed if you don't get offended when the word doesn't seem to be working when you want it to work or how you want it to work. That you're just relying on your own sensibilities. And trust the reliability of what I've told you. Listen to me. This is where true maturity begins to manifest. When it looks like the word is not working. And you don't get offended at God. And you say to God, well, it's not working. Maybe not the way you want it to work. Or when you want it to work. You've got your eye on it. And you're focused on it. And your eyes on the gauges in the middle of the storm. And then you get through that storm. Because eventually his word will be fulfilled. So Habakkuk saw the reliability of the scriptures. Remember this about God. He's always waiting in the wings to make his morning star appearance at the very right time to take care of you and fulfill his promise. No matter what's happening, wait on it. Stay with it. Be brave. Be strong. It'll come to pass. Then he saw something else. He saw the retribution of sinners. It began to dawn on him in the second chapter. Oh, now I see. I do have God's perspective. I've been burdened about the people sinning and seeming to do okay while they sinned, living like hellions. Everything's going fine. God says, no, don't. Now watch what I'm going to do. And there's going to be a chastisement here. A pastor from Southern California it was lamenting to me not long ago about some of the problems he's got in the summertime. He said, in, my, in the summer, my church goes up and down and up and down. They're either in the mountains or they're down at the beach. And he said, some just don't have time for God's house any longer. He said, they don't have time for God. They're preoccupied with their own lives, the pleasures of life, the sports they get involved in, the movies they want to go see. Then they don't have time for God. And I said, no, they won't make time for God. They've got time but they're spending it other places. And this was the burden to Habakkuk. And he, so he sees it, and all of a sudden God says, watch what's going to happen, because you think they're sinning and getting away with it and prospering. Here's what's going to happen. Here's exactly what he says. There are going to be four woes that happen to them. And he said, woe to the dishonest, the dishonest politician, 
the dishonest businessman. Woe to the deceiver and the cheater and the dishonest person who's in the temple who's not living for me, but breaking my commandments, I will judge them. Whoa. Then he said, woe to the hypocrite, those who hide behind clay. They're acting out here one thing, and there's something else beneath the clay. And he said, woe to the greedy. And if there's a God in, in North America today, it's been our pursuit after stuff. People want more and more at the expense of their time with the Lord, at the expense of time with their family, at the expense of investing in their children, at the expense in their worship of the Lord and honor to God. People will give it all up for their stuff and their success. And let me tell you what, there's a consequence to that. And then he pronounced another woe. Woe to the one who gives alcohol to his neighbor. And I looked at that and I said, whoa. You know what that means? You can influence somebody else. That if they see you do it, they may think they can do it. But if they can't control it, it'll be on you because you led them by your example. So I'm telling you, I will not pick up anything I laid down at the cross. When I was born again, I laid it down, and I'm not going to pick it back up again. You don't need less God. You need more God in this day. More anointing, because you're fighting more devils, and you better have more consecration, not less. And Paul put it like this. Some people have decided near the end of days that spending time with the Lord, with his people, is not in any way meaningful to them. He said, don't be like they are. He said, but I want you to gather more as you see the end day approach. And spirit-filled people, you know better. And I'm going to preach you the truth even when it's not popular. You know why? Because people didn't hire me. I didn't put out a resume to find a job. What's my, what kind of career life do I want to have? I am called to preach the truth of God's unchangeable word. And any pastor who will not tell you the truth is a hireling. Well, that's your opinion. No, it's not my opinion. This is what God's Word says. People have a disease today called minimalism. They just want to do the minimum they can do to get by. Just the minimum I have to do to get to heaven. Why don't you go the other direction? And that is get as far away from anything that looks like the devil, smells like the devil... Don't give any place to the devil. Resist the devil. Have no fellowship with the works of darkness. That's all scriptural I just gave you, by the way. And you see, there's a spirit behind addiction. You know, you might sip, sip something and it not send you to hell. But there's a spirit behind it. What you're dancing with, you don't know its power. And the risk is, he will win and you will lose. And you won't draw closer to the Lord dabbling with addictive behaviors. If you love God, you will live right. And if you've got pot or anything that binds you, leave it at the altar. Give it to one of our ushers on your way out. Deliverance is in the house. And that which plagues you, he'll free you from today. And you don't need to ever go back. Because you can get free from that spirit that controls your life. You come in with a problem, you walk out with praise. That's the promise of Habakkuk. So finally, here's what you do when hard times come. Difficult places, burdens. You get a new perspective from the Word. 
believing in the reliability of God's word, the scriptures, knowing that God will balance the scales and he's going to bring to pass justice in his time. And he'll bring reward for those who've been faithful. Number four, it's in the third chapter. Habakkuk said, I'm switching my perspective from a burden and a vision to a song of praise. Turn came in his life. Then he makes this strange statement. He uses the word Shigionoth. What in the world is Shigionoth? So I went to my Hebrew resources. <laughs> and here's what it means. It's a word that describes a song of triumph based on ignorance. A song of triumph based on ignorance. In other words, we don't understand what's going on. We're ignorant of what God's trying to do. We don't know for sure why he's allowing this. We've got no explanations as to why this is happening. But we will not allow it to steal our praise and worship of God. So Habakkuk says, Shigionoth. Shigionoth. That means you haven't seen it yet. You don't have the big picture completed. You haven't had it explained to you. You can't logically figure it out. In fact, you're ignorant about it. You don't know what's going on, but we will still praise God. We will shiggyon off it. I will shiggyon off it in my home. I will shiggyon off it on the job. I will shiggyon off it on a Sunday, even if I don't understand what God's doing. And here's how he put it. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stall, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on the high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Play it. Play it. Through all this bad stuff, terrible, painful, difficult season, that word yet, the harvest has not come yet. This is what you do. There is a yet praise. That breakthrough hasn't happened yet. You haven't seen your marriage turned around yet. You haven't seen what God promised in your child's life yet. The miracle hasn't arrived yet. You haven't received your healing yet. And all you hear in your ears are the people's voices around you who go, well, you know, that, when I had that, it almost killed me. And you listen to that, no, it doesn't seem logical to you yet. Yet. Even though it tarries, it will come. He promised it. But yet, yet, I will rejoice. I will shigionoth it. So watch this. When you start giving him a yet praise, when you thank him with triumph, even though you're in the dark and ignorant of how he's going to do it, when you haven't got a clue why this has all happened to you, then God said, I'm going to do something. You know that mountain you're facing, Habakkuk? I'm going to give you feet like deer. And if God hasn't moved your mountain, you're going to get to climb over the top of it. Some mountains get moved. Other mountains, he gives you feet like a deer to climb up 
over and down the other side. He says, see that mountain? I'm going to give you sure-footedness that you're going to overtake that mountain. And you're going to come on the other side. Yeah, you're going to climb over it like a deer would be able to do it. As one pastor said, he said, I know the word of God is infallible because it's withstood so much bad preaching. And he was right. And he shared the story as a result of the statement. He told the story about a man who pastored a little country church. And the man loved Jesus, but by the world's standards, he was an uneducated man. He was a good pastor. He loved his people, loved the Lord. One time he preached from this text, and he used the passage that describes in the King James Version, he will make my feet like hinds feet. That's deer. That's the old English way of saying deer. And he's, he read that in the King James Version. He, he didn't see it clearly, and he thought it said hen's feet. So he preached the whole message on God will give you hen's feet. And he called it chicken toe religion. That was, that was his message. <laughs> and he said a chicken has three toes to go forward one toe in the back to keep you from sliding in the wrong direction. So he preached, you've got to have chicken toe religion. Hence feet. You've got to have one toe behind you to keep you from backsliding and three toes to keep you going forward. So whether you call them hen's feet or hind's feet, even though there's a mountain that you face, if for some reason you can't seem to get it to move, God will make you as sure-footed as a deer. And you'll go over that mountain and come down the other side victorious over your mountain. So jump to your feet and tell the Lord here today, I'm going over it. I'm going over it. Climb that mountain and don't lose any ground because that's what sure-footed deer can do. They can go up the side of that mountain take us hours to climb they can scamper up the side of that mountain sure-footed never miss a beat because we didn't come this far to give up take the mountain is anybody here going to give him a yet praise yet i will still rejoice in the lord